conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Jacob Tender and Mike Comite for episode 300, possibly the last episode ever of the podcast to be determined, but it's the last episode for now, that's for sure. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Of course, Mike. How about you? Doing wonderful. And was our last episode together the 200th episode? 250. 250. I couldn't remember. I know it was a, it was a benchmark. It was a landmark. Yeah. It was a little over a year ago, I, I think. Like it was around, the, I remember it being around this time. Yeah, I took quite a bit of time off when I moved this summer, so. Yet you still managed to make 50 <laughs> episodes of a podcast <laughs> in between then and now. Which is more than Jacob and I have ever done of any podcast. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, I don't know. I took like six weeks off. I don't know how that happened. That math doesn't really work. But <laughs> yeah, so you you made the the big move since well since we talked on the show last. Um, how how are you adjusting? It's been a process, but I think I'm finally getting there. I've been watching your uh, your progress settling in in the uh, the apartment, and it looks nice. Yeah, that has been probably the biggest process because like. I had my desk set up in the dining room, yeah. which was hardwood floor and right next <laughs> to the kitchen. And the refrigerator kept making so much noise that I just felt like I was never going to be able to record in there. So after getting everything all set up in there, I moved it all into the living room. <laughs> Lot softer, I'm sure. Yeah, well, there's carpet in the living room. So even though it's like a bigger room, there's at least like a wall between the living room and the fridge. So I was like, all right, it seems to be okay. And I mean, because of the microphone I use, it doesn't pick up a ton of extra noise. So like if people go by in the hallway, it typically won't pick it up. But for videos, it's been a bit of a problem because I use a different microphone. So it's been fun figuring that out. What kind of microphone are you using for video? I have the Rode NTG3B. Is that a shotgun? Yeah. 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 It's nicer because it's just easier and out of the way for video. It's been a whole ordeal and I have made very few videos since I have been here because of it. But today we're talking about aliens. We previously talked about alien, singular. Now we got plural. Was that on that episode or was that just Jake? Yeah. No, that was both of us. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. (laughs) Wow. Despite despite Mike's memory, it was a good episode, I thought. I can't remember it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think of all the Marvel sh- episodes that I've done with you guys in the Star Wars one, but I, I didn't remember talking about Aliens, probably because it's been so long since I've watched Alien. It was like pre-pandemic, I guess, which is, I guess, only a couple of years. But still, I feel like I, sh- I would have watched it more recently than that. Yeah, I, I, I rewatched all of them during the pandemic. Uh, okay. A buddy of mine had never seen them. So I think they were all streaming on HBO at the time. So we just kind of went through the quadrilogy. Uh, they even got me to rewatch Resurrection, um, which was fun. I mean, I hadn't seen it for probably 10 years prior to that, so that was interesting. But uh, this is your first time seeing Aliens, right, Dana? Yeah, so Wild. what I did was, Crazy. you know, when we had decided to do Alien, I had already watched the movie for the first time, and then I did a second watch And I think I did the director's cut or whatever for the podcast. So with this, I just went ahead and watched the extended cut because I was like, I'd rather watch too much than not enough. So I know there's quite a few people who prefer the theatrical. It might be most people, actually. I'm not 100% sure, but I was like, I'll just watch the extended cut to be safe. So I did that earlier in the week. And 
I had a friend, my friend Nick was like, now you got to watch the rest so you can become a Prometheus defender with me. <laughs> oh, I saw, I saw that comment on your letterbox. Yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I hope you do. We watched Aliens the same night. Mike, I think, watched it a couple nights before, and he also watched the extended cut. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about this a lot because I watched the theatrical cut for the first time in probably like 10 years. Okay. I, I generally watch the the extended cut of, of this movie, but um, I figured since you guys were watching the other one, I may as well try to differ my experience in some way. I'm glad that you did that because I, I would love to contrast and compare the viewing experiences because I've done both at this point now. We'll, we'll get into it, I'm sure, um, which we prefer and stuff. Yeah, and going into this, I didn't read up about it or anything. I didn't even realize until a few minutes before we hopped on this call that it took seven years to get this made. The movie? Well, it, like just the release dates between movies was seven years, which is yeah. quite a long time for a sequel. It's not quite as long as, you know, waiting for Stephen King to write Dr. Sleep or something, but it was shocking to me because I was under the impression that everyone loved Alien when it first came out and that a sequel was sort of just a given, but apparently there were some lawsuits and Fox didn't want to do a sequel, which is wild. What were the lawsuits over? That's a good question. Jake, tell me. I, do, I actually don't know. <laughs> Jake, you're, you're the alien expert. You have to tell me. You no, can't just bring I'm, up I'm, lawsuits I'm, on a podcast and not talk about what they were about. I, I know more about Alien than I do Aliens. I haven't gotten into that Rinsler book yet. But that is that is interesting. But also, is it really that surprising? I mean, this is James Cameron. Like, it takes him forever to make a sequel to anything. That's true. I mean, they were doing so much with this movie. I'm I'm not surprised. It was it took seven years. I mean, even if they greenlit it like two years after this the first one because of demand or whatever lawsuits or whatever. Like, I can't imagine. Like the scale of this thing was huge. Yeah, like, it, was it was a lot was, bigger. And also, this was this was like the biggest thing in the like in the world when we were when we were kids. Like, like I think we even missed the what year this year came, this came in eighty seven. I was buying aliens toys, aliens toys. Or what my parents were buying them for me, I guess, when in like the early 90s, like 94 still. So that's like, you know, seven years after the release of this movie, the toys were selling like hotcakes. Like yeah. yeah. Commercials on Saturday morning cartoons. You know, it's, it was nuts. We talked about this during the last one, too. Alien was great. It was a great movie, but also very, you know, very artistic, very atmospheric, very creepy and sinister. But this movie is so much different, right? Like it's an action movie and therefore sold tons of figs and comics. Like it exploded the universe in an entirely new way. And at this point, like, do, do we have Predator at this point? Had Predator come out? Oh, definitely. It yeah, must have. That was right? like an 80s thing also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then there was the culmination of those things. So yeah, this this movie was was very different in a lot of ways, but is, you know, easily credited with the success of the franchise. Like, it's only a franchise because this movie was made. Yeah, and I just quickly looked it up, but it appears that the lawsuit was that the alien producers were suing Fox over their cut of the movie, and so they could not proceed with the sequel until that was handled. Huh. Their cut of the movie. Yeah. I mean, there was... You know, there were tons of production was for the first one. Like it, it barely got made. Like it's because of the success of Star Wars that it was even given the the full green light to to go into production. It's so crazy because it's so different from Star Wars. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, but they they realize like there is a market for sci-fi. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we we have this script. It takes place almost entirely in the hallways of a ship. I don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> and then you've got 
you know, the Death Star. So they figured, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And it worked. It worked out. Obviously, very different film, but. Yeah, I just thought that was super interesting. And Jake, you mentioned the J.W. Rinsler book. I have the Alien one and have yet to make my way through that. I've sort of flipped through it and read some bits and pieces here and there, but it's a massive book. And I imagine the Aliens one is roughly the same size. Yep. Almost exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So it seems like there's quite a bit of interesting stuff going on behind the scenes just to get both of those movies made. But, you know, you have Sigourney Weaver returning as Ellen Ripley, and you have a lot of great just sort of characters in general in this like Mm -hmm. bill paxton as hudson really stood out to me because iconic yeah he just went all in on the character and like that character type and it felt like the entire cast really did that especially with everyone in the military outfit it's like they all just went full on into their roles and i think that's what makes this work so well as a sequel I agree. I think James Cameron is a master at characters. I I think he's very, very good at building big personalities. You've got, like, right off the bat, like, when you meet all of the the Marines when they wake up from hypersleep, like, it's immediate, right? Like, dude gets out of cryo and immediately puts a cigar in his mouth. You know exactly what he is all about right away. Look into my eye. I, I just absolutely love that dude. And then it goes, you know, they go sit down, they're just having breakfast. And then immediately you've got this android who just starts playing the knife game. <laughs> and it just it just goes like you're just learning so much about these people immediately. Hudson, Vasquez, that whole like Vasquez Drake, you know, partnership that's going on very odd couple sort of thing i think it's my favorite part of the movie is their friendship just like yeah it's just this platonic like high-fiving like you're too bad vasquez like yeah. they're just <laughs> so positive towards each other they're just so happy it was just weird i think the only thing about that relationship i was like oh well they should have had their moment i, I think maybe it's important that we're kind of getting ahead of i guess any plot discussion but like vasquez getting to watch having to watch drake die yeah i guess is different from them like, she blows up with Hudson, which is like, well, I mean, I kind of wish that Vasquez and Drake had blown up together, but I understand what they were going for, you know? I think the best moment of those two is when they're, like, kind of down in the nest, right? Mm-hmm. And they take all the ammo away from all the Marines because oh, they don't yeah. want them to blow the core. But there's that moment of, like, knowing and trust between Vasquez and Drake where they pull, like, she pulls out these extra cartridges and they, you know, hook back up. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is that says everything about those characters. Like they are they are a team within a team, you know. Yeah. Oh man, they just have each other's backs so well. And like when they're practicing the gun reloading, like um I watched this the Aaron and she was just like, "Did the steady cam come before or after this movie?" Because it looks like they just have steady cam rigs on their waists or whatever, you know, with those uh those heavy artillery. Oh my gosh. Everything about this movie. I just like uh oh, I I can't get past like the fact that I like I didn't see this movie for the first I saw this movie for the first time. I think I probably talked about this on the last Alien episode that I don't remember being on, <laughs> which is why I'm probably going to say it again. But like I saw this for the first time as like uh probably a 10-year-old or something um watching it on like early morning. Like it was on like USA network or whatever, just okay. whatever was at the time and it was so it was it was but it was still like they hadn't edited the violence out of it, but they edited the language out and I was just flipping through channels and just saw 
Bishop get torn apart at the end of it and it totally traumatized me. But I had never seen it up until that point. But I had been playing with the toys for four or five years at that point. So it was like, it was weird seeing the movie for the first time as an adult later on and like tracking everybody and knowing exactly who Apone was because I played with his toy as a kid. Whereas like, it's weird to know the action figure before the movie character. And that's what I had experienced. Yeah. I mean, was it, was it weird when you saw the movie and you're like, where'd all his muscles go? Well, for me, it, it was, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just the muscles. It was sort of the outfit, but also like Corporal Hicks, like his action figure, like was like his whole thing was like, he had a big old rocket launcher over his shoulder. That was like his, the thing that came with him. And he was all about this rocket launcher. And I just kept waiting for him to do something cool with a rocket launcher the first time I saw it. And he, I mean, he did a lot of cool stuff, but not with a rocket launcher. Apone had these, like, grenades he would sling in the comics and the toys or whatever, and, like, he didn't have any... I mean, did he? He didn't toss any grenades in, in, in that movie. I don't think so. Bishop was, like, all metal and everything. I don't really... I We discussed this last time as well. I, like, I just... I don't understand the toy of Bishop versus the actual actor that played Bishop. Like, it it was just a... Like, the, the toy thing, I'll never get past it. I'll never get past... <laughs> how weird the toys were for this movie that they were so huge they're still weird yeah it hasn't changed i mean they've different licensees have picked up the the franchise over time and so there are a lot of like really great realistic you know more figures and you know you can, i have a ripley in her spacesuit and everything from the first movie and you can get really great um realistic models of of these characters but they also still make the crazy xenomorphs that are like rhino xenomorph dark crystal xenomorph you know all these really crazy wild variants which it's just great lore it's hilarious i love it it's it's excellent lore though because i mean like i think that came after alien 3 when they're like yeah, oh well yeah. whatever it whatever the xenomorph comes out of it takes a little bit of its dna you know like so exactly. i think that's where they kind of gathered all that from um which is really fun um, but, but as a kid, you just go into these moving, like, I, I couldn't wait to see the gorilla alien and, or like the flying queen alien and like all this stuff. And then lo and behold, it doesn't exist <laughs> at all. Like, <laughs> right. No, the, the queen takes the elevator. <laughs> yeah. Which is the f- so good. Like I, I was like, at one point I was like talking with Aaron while we were watching, I was like, are the aliens intelligent? And I'm, and I'm like, though they're intelligent in the way, like maybe a dolphin is. And then suddenly they're taking an elevator and I'm like, oh, they're, this is d- a different level of intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it just in my mind or like it, when Ripley gets in the thing and then goes up and then it cuts back to the alien queen and the second elevator comes down to the floor. Does she kind of like cock her head? Yes. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she does like a little puppy dog. Exactly Olivia, my, my little dachshund does. She just turns her head to the side. And she's like, huh? Like if I open the refrigerator, it's like, huh? It cocks the head. She's like, oh. But like they're, they're, but it, it implies a higher level of intelligence. And also the other, I mean, we're all over the place right now. I'm sorry, Deanna. I'm, I'm, it's okay. But, uh, but like the level of intelligence thing with, for the xenomorphs is like that whole thing when Ripley is kind of having the standoff at the end. Yeah with a flamethrower there's Mm -hmm. like this communication going on where like you wouldn't like uh it's more than just like okay a a human and a lion meet and the human's holding a torch or something and waving it in front of the lion the lion backs off because the fire is scary or whatever it's more than that because the queen looks at its little henchman xenomorphs and is like guys back off exactly stand down stand down let her go it's like i don't know that you know they would all I don't know. It's just it's just this weird level of intelligence that I think is really fascinating. It probably comes from the genetic thing of them erupting from humans. Yeah, but it's I, so it's so interesting. 
I'm sorry. I, I know this is the end of the movie, but I want to dig into that for a minute because I, I took a note of that because, you know, I've, I've seen this movie before, but this is the first time I thought, like, is she telling them to stand down so she's going to let Ripley go? Is that the is that the case? Like, does she feel threatened and does she think that if she lets Ripley go that she's not going to destroy everything? Like, if Ripley didn't blast everything to hell, would she have just gotten the elevator and gone back upstairs? Like, that's how I interpreted it. That's so interesting. Deanna, what do you think? Yeah, it definitely felt that way. It was one of those things where I was like, this is an odd interaction at first. And as you continue watching it, you're just like, huh, that really makes you think about sort of how much the aliens are processing, like in whatever version of a brain they have. And it was kind of like the alien wanted there to be some sort of understanding between her and Ripley. I want to know. I want to understand what's going on in Ripley's mind, though. Like, Ripley knows before she gets down there that the entire place is going to blow up. Like, I totally understand that Ripley's like, she has a deep-seated hatred for these bugs. She oh, hates yeah. them, and she wants them all destroyed. But she knows that they're going to be destroyed as soon as she leaves. And she knows that she only has a couple of minutes to get back into the chopper. Yeah. She has the kid. She could go. She makes a choice. She had safe passage, it would seem. Yeah, that is crazy. I have never thought of that before. That, like, she didn't need to tour. Like, it it has to be the deep-seated hatred, which I think is brilliant writing. It's like yeah. just this vindictiveness, like this, this like anger, this, this pure hatred towards this species that has thwarted her, like just threatened her life twice at this point, which yeah. is just like, maybe this is a good point to jump back to the beginning because like, what, what a thing for her to do to go on this mission after what she experienced. Yeah. I, I do feel like the, the end of this movie feels very similar to the first one in my opinion. Oh, like, yeah. You've got That's the klaxons going off, you know, time to time to leave. You, you got the, you got mother go, coming over the speaker telling you you've got to go. And yet she's going back in. Like, it's exactly what happened in the first one. It's just higher stakes because you have more aliens. You're, you know, kind of going like underground. And then there's this big, nasty, you know, egg laying queen. So it definitely ups the stakes, but it's also very familiar. There's also like a big focus on family in this one in sort of an abstract sense, I guess, because at the beginning we find out that, you know, Ripley's been in stasis for like 57 years, I think it is. And so her daughter has since passed away while she was in stasis. And you have a lot of foreshadowing there. And then she finds out that there are families living on this planet and she's just like what are these people thinking they're absolutely insane and then as soon as we meet newt later in the movie she sort of becomes this surrogate daughter for ripley and i think that was just a really interesting approach to that because of the fact that you know ripley was like i was supposed to be there for her 11th birthday i think she says for her daughter. And so she sort of has that motherly instinct still because she was in stasis. So it just kind of came full circle really nicely, I thought. See, and this is one of the differences between the cuts of the movie, because it's even more abstract in the theatrical version where they don't have that extended scene where it's explained that she had a daughter and that her daughter died. That's not in the movie. 
um, which I think really undercuts the rest of the film. Now, how much of that is in, in the theatrical? Is is any of it? Because I none of it. Okay, so maybe I've never seen the theatrical cut then, because I remember Paul Reiser or whoever talking to her about her daughter in every time I've seen the movie. So I, I guess I'd probably only seen extended cuts, which is insane. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, the the scene where it's explained that Amanda passed away, that took place in that like faux garden where there's like the, the screen garden thing and she's like sitting there with a super long ash cigarette. No, isn't that in the hospital bed before the... I'm get, I guess I'm confused. I remember her getting handed like a hollow pad thing, like a, an iPad basically. When did she have the dream? Because they do the fake out thing where they where she she wakes up and she, everything's fine and then you know how long I've have I been out you get you get a bunch of exposition then suddenly yeah the thing pops out of her chest which is a really interesting yeah. writing technique I think to to have exposition that is factual delivered in a dream sequence and then to cut back and it's like well the dream sequence was your exposition it's it's I don't know like being visited by a dead relative or something like that in a dream or something like to, in order to inform the audience of what's going on but it's just like it's weird because it's just like a scene out of the movie that just ends different than reality <laughs> I, I don't know it was a it was interesting writing to me yeah I mean there, there was there's really nothing there's nothing on Amanda so like you, you go into the movie you know that she's like she's traumatized by the events of the first film uh, she learns at the end of the you know the Inquisition that there are you know like 60 families or something living on LV426 and she she sits with that for a long time and then she makes the decision to go but that that's all you know and so hmm. when when she gets to the planet and she begins interacting with Newt like it definitely feels like a motherly sort of interaction you know she's she's filling in a void that Newt had right right like Newt lost her mom so she's stepping in for that but when you don't have the context, the background of Ellen Ripley losing her own daughter, it's not like Newt is, is filling that role for her. It feels very one-sided. Okay, so it's more like in the theatrical cut, she's sort of just being protective of her because she's a child. Yeah, Okay. exactly. Yeah, the only sort of like maternal reference that they even make between the two of them is at the end when um, you know Newt like says mommy is it's her like last line of the movie that's still left in but I feel like that it it doesn't quite hit home quite as hard when you don't have the the additional stuff about Ripley so that that's one thing that I missed uh, from the special edition cut that's wild I I totally didn't interpret it I like I didn't understand that that was different in I don't know, I've just always taken it for granted that she was a mother. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but they, I feel like that mommy line really hits the nail on the he- like the head a little bit too hard for me. Like mm. I, I did yeah. I don't feel like I don't feel like she needed to yell mommy. Right. Her. Yeah, I mean she said it kind of meekly, like she says it quietly, but um they could have cut it. <laughs> they just wanted to give her one last line. But but it was also just like so like I mean, I feel like we would have gotten the mother daughter kind of thing. Without that? Yeah, even without like or or let it just be unspoken, you know, that, that she has this maternal instinct for her. Because, I mean, with the queen alien, like, I mean, there's, there's this whole mirror thing going on at the end. Maybe it's more clear after Alien 3 or something that we can look at aliens and, and see that this mirror thing is happening with the queen protecting its young and she's protecting her young, like, that whole thing. But, like, I don't know. I just feel like the, the it was very good before it was before they said it out loud. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it didn't need to be said. So here, here's a question. Speaking of like taking care of things and maternal instincts, who takes care of Jones when Ripley leaves? The cat? Yeah. I, I guess the nurse. Poor thing's just left behind. Like she's just like, you're staying here. Okay, so so here's a question. So with the extended cut, 
we have that this it cuts away the scene happens the the hearing happens mm-hmm. i guess or what a deposition i don't know yeah. what it is i think it's a deposition basically yeah and where she's basically giving her testimony to the Wayland yutani corporation saying like this happened and xyz happened and this is why it happened and they don't believe her and they say we have colonists and then it cuts to the colony now in the theatrical edition do we have a cut to the colony no. No. <laughs> no. No, you don't. You don't get anything you don't get anything about Hadley's hope uh prior to them actually landing there. And somebody somebody replied to me on um on Mastodon this week about that because I tweeted about having watched the theatrical edition and, and what I would want to keep from the special edition in the film if I were to cut it myself. Uh and they they, they mentioned that. They said like Without the before scenes on LV-426, it appears to be a massive coincidence that contact is lost with the colony coincidentally within weeks of finding Ripley drifting in space for 70 plus years. Now, there's a couple of things wrong with that, but like, I, I think that is mostly unnecessary. I wouldn't bring it back because it's it's explained to Ripley when, you know, when she confronts Burke that it's he's the one that like sent the colonists out to find the derelict spaceship. Like, we know mm-hmm. what happened. The earlier scenes established that there was a thriving colony and that there is, like, you a know, population of 176 yeah. thriving. Yeah, that's, thriving that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to know anything more than that. Um, so, I, yeah, I would have probably left those scenes out. I would too. And maybe for like a little bit different reasons. Like, well, so I have to come back to this question, though, which is okay, so we go from the deposition scene, it ends. How much time has passed between when Paul Reiser comes to get her to say, like, is there is there a title card? Or is there something? I, I missed it. Like, I didn't really gather it. And what happened? Oh, yeah. It's it's like a couple of weeks. Um, that, okay, that's it? Because she gets a haircut. She's working on the loading docks and she's doing her thing there. Like, Oh, God, he's so condescending to her when he's just like, I heard you're working the loading docks. Yeah. He, he's just like, that's fine. That's, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if I had just been through what she'd been through... I would also take the most menial uh, job, like mindless menial job that would just keep me like safe forever. I would work at a desk for the rest of my life happily and never encounter yeah. another alien again. But <laughs> right. Paul Reiser is trying to be like, but, but I think that's what makes Ripley an amazing character and a brave character and all, all, the, all the, the things that make a great heroine. You know, like it's just like it's a person who puts herself in danger knowing that it's the right thing to do or that like she, she's just so brave i kept saying that over and over again like she's so brave like <laughs> she's just she's just such a wonderful character and like yeah and like i don't know they say like bravery versus stupidity or whatever but like that she walks right back into it and that's partly why i think seeing the before shots of the colony don't really help me at all because without those, those scenes you get to experience this pretty much through Ripley's eyes like there's people coming in like Paul Reiser's character or whatever but you get to experience the mo- like the, the sequence of events through just Ripley so she's right, like yeah. she gets woken up she gets told all this thing she gets told she's probably a liar like she gets a job at a loading dock then she's like hey by the way remember that colony we told you about we lost contact with it and like I don't know like uh, we need to go check it out and we just we just got to be you're the only one who really knows this place so why don't you come with us like you're you're not knowing like you're thinking like maybe it's not going to be so bad but like by showing the before scenes and showing that thriving colony like you get there and you know something bad immediately happened 
because you you've seen what it was like before it happened and you've seen the alien attached to Newt's family that that's not also in the theatrical cut right yeah nothing nothing with Newt's family is in there okay so this so you don't see the xenomorph coming out of the ship uh, no sorry the the face hugger coming out of the ship you don't see right so like none of that happens so it's still like not not really a mystery but it's sort of still a mystery when Ripley lands on that planet in the theatrical cut. That's right. It, and it becomes, a, it's a surprise. Like it's it's more of a surprise when she confronts Burke and she puts it all together. Like when she finally understands. Which is so wonderful. It's so wonderful, that feeling in the theatrical cut. And that's what, like when I'm watching the extended cut, I was like, ah, oh, it's like less intriguing because it's like watching a movie based on a historical event or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but Passion of the Christ is coming to my mind immediately. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> really weird pick. <laughs> problematic director i know but like just like you know you you watching this movie and you're like well jesus is going to die at the end of this and you're just like hoping it's not going to happen but you know it's going to happen i'm just thinking the most inevitable ending of a movie ever sure so when i'm watching uh, aliens it's like there's still this hope that i have that like oh she's just going to check out this planet and like maybe nothing happened over the past 50 something years and that maybe you know they stayed contained somehow and the mystery of how like when, like you said, when they reveal it to Paul Reiser, like I think, or when they reveal Paul Reiser sent him out, it's just a, such a more satisfying reveal that that's what happened. Um, I don't know. It just, it just, it seems like a better, better writing, I guess, in the theatrical yeah. version, which is weird because the extended cut is how it was written. <laughs> I did find a timeline that was sort of compiled from bits and pieces from the DVD specials that give an idea of, uh, you know, Ripley being found on. May 16th, uh, the inquiry happens on June 12th. And that same day, Burke tells Hadley's Hope to go check out this derelict spacecraft. So that happens on the same day. The inquiry and the team going out to like find the, the eggs. They lose contact by July 3rd. And then July 6th, Ripley decides that she's going to go. And then they don't get there until July 27th. So she's been, you know, Newt was like on her own um, for... A month. Okay. Basically a full month. Amazing wow. that she lasted that long. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I Well, I think they make it clear. I Well, I guess I don't know how they, like, there's a lot of stuff that, like, I guess for lack of a better term, the plot armor of everything, where it's like, you know, Newt has to survive because the plot dictates it, but you know can the how did the aliens not find her in that little spot cuz she's quiet cuz her feet her feet are small cuz she doesn't create such a I mean I don't know how the aliens sense they can't fit well I mean but they they come through the ceilings in the later scenes so it's like they clearly are resourceful little guys but like maybe they just don't really see her as a viable host but they they tie her up later you know so I don't know there's there's a lot of weird like lore stuff you could probably figure out how she survived but yeah it's uh it is remarkable that she made it <laughs> considering she was the only one well she she mostly stayed in the vents mostly mm. well she has that little bedroom that that's right Ripley. unless that, that little was trash in, pile <laughs> yeah her still trash pile <laughs> trash girl yeah i mean i guess it's feasible but it's also one of those things where you just kind of have to suspend belief for a little bit and oh yeah yeah yeah. which is not hard to do it's a movie about giant uh, aliens uh, on a distant planet exactly and i think that with aliens it's not necessarily that they're trying to top alien and make it bigger and better and just have more of them for no real reason but the fact that you know the first movie introduces this one 
and it's the whole introduction to the xenomorphs in general, it makes sense that as time goes on, there would be a lot more of them in a contained area, if you will. And so this didn't feel like it was a sequel for the sake of sequels, necessarily. I know we've probably talked about this with like Marvel and Star Wars stuff over the years. And there are certain things where you're like, yeah, we didn't need that. But I think this, it's not that it's a movie we needed necessarily, but it doesn't take away or try to change anything from the first movie, other than them saying that Ripley was a liar. But it also just advances things as a whole with them deciding to have a whole colony now instead of just sending like a group of people out. Yeah. And it it totally blows open the biology of the species, right? Like at the beginning in the first movie, we get the eggs. Yeah. Okay. And then there's the face hugger and then there's the chest burster, which grows into the full blown xenomorph. And that's all we know. And we don't even have a name for the xenomorph. So there's really not much to go on. It's kind of hard to understand like, okay, but where do the eggs come from? And now we know where the eggs come from. Like it, it just starts building on the biology of these creatures, which again, if you get further into this series, Deanna, yeah. and I hope you do. <laughs> it gets oh wait, even oh, more we insane. can't talk about Prometheus right now. Okay. No, I know. <laughs> okay. Cause I, cause I was going to start talking about Prometheus and, and what we gather from that, but that's a conversation for you and I later, Jacob. It seems yep. that <laughs> it, it gets a whole lot crazier, but that's where, again, like it starts building that franchise out into something that we do want more of. Yeah. I mean, maybe people are asking for more alien. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. I wasn't alive at the time, but we got it. And then from then on, yeah, people were asking for it. And as a result of that, we were getting, you know, new alien movies on a pretty, pretty regular cadence. Um, from then on out, the next one came out in the nineties and then, um, another one later. And then we started getting all the spinoffs and I haven't seen resurrection. That's fine. I think you said the exact same thing last time. <laughs> the episode I can't remember. This is this is truly a day moment. Imagine listening to these yeah. episodes back to back because you really love Alien and you really love Deanna's show, and you're just like is these this idiots. Podcast? This one idiot who keeps saying the same thing he said last episode. Yeah, at the very least, watch three. I yeah. I love three. I love. And three, I'm an yeah. advocate for three. People start kind of dropping off at three, and some will say it's diminishing returns. Uh, I say that. That's not true. Look, if I can watch three Children of the Corn movies, I can definitely handle three (laughs) alien movies, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Three is excellent. I can't, but the original, uh, I mean, maybe this is for a later episode when we talk about Aliens 3, but. um, (laughs) I'll bring the podcast back just for that. Please, please. Episode 301, (laughs) Alien 3. Just like the original concept, though, for Alien 3 was so much better, I feel like. Like, I don't know. Just from a production design standpoint it was really intriguing the director of that movie has disowned it but i felt it was a real return to form like it was a back to basics approach to alien which i really appreciate because as great as this movie is and i recognize it is a great movie i love aliens it's an action movie Mm -hmm. right it's not what i like most out of the franchise it has some of that like when they first go down into the nest and they like get the first glimpses of people plastered to the walls that's great it's super creepy i love it but that's what I like the most out of Alien. The tight quarters, the you know, not knowing what's around the corner, just the atmosphere 
And I, I think that gets lost a little bit when James Cameron's going big. Yeah. The jump scare thing. Well, I guess Alien was never a jump scary thing. There are some moments like the yeah, the, yeah. the jazz yeah, hands like in the vent. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. Would you call like the alien swooping down like the first time you see it? Like that, that's not really a jump scare. The jump, the, the alien popping out of the chest bursting for the first time. My mom saw that in this movie in theaters. Again, I said this last episode, um, but my mom saw it in theaters and said she screamed as loud as, <laughs> and, like, super loud when the alien burst out of the person's chest. Like her and her friend were sitting there just freaked out. Um, so that's, I guess, maybe not a jump scare, but like truly a terrifying image. This movie, like there are a couple good moments, I feel like. I feel like the face hugger in the tube jumping like really suddenly is pretty is a good scare um bishop's death at the end traumatizing for me definitely a good scare well there's there's the scene when burke lets the face huggers loose on newton ripley i that i think that's a really tense scene it's also kind of like a it feels like a callback to the scene when they lose the face hugger after it leaves kane's face Mm -hmm. in the med lab yeah it's a very similar scene but like even more tense because you know these ones are alive do you feel like if this movie was made in today's day like with today's like internet and fan bases or whatever like they there would be people being like oh you just re- it's it's a reboot you know it's like a it's yeah. it's a force awakens to you know star wars it's yeah i feel like that would happen yeah i mean it definitely is in a lot of ways i think that's true i think it's great in its expansion though yeah. like just the way it expands the universe like i feel i feel like in order for this franchise to stay afloat or like to, to become a franchise at all, you had to expand this universe. And it, like we talked about with the biology, it did it so well by just giving you this company who's just like, like the, like bringing back a sample of the alien is their goal. Right. It's, it's like that, that was their goal in alien sort of too, you know, like it was like something's always been going on and it just it deepens the mystery. And I don't know, it's just, uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I think what's cool about that is they're able to expand the world without actually going to a different world like this takes place on two different planets i guess like at the beginning it's not really another planet but it's another solar system or something Mm -hmm. but they go back to the same planet from the first movie can you imagine if that's what happened on star wars like if they just went back to tatooine and that's where the entire movie (laughs) took place kind of like jakku you know (laughs) well sure but i mean that was several movies later (laughs) right 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 yeah i know know true yeah they, they didn't have to like explore the universe to explore the world of the xenomorph and that is really cool they do do that in the future films and you kind of have to like you can only retread the same ground so many times but i I don't know i think that's really neat yeah yeah it it was definitely more a big picture movie than the first one was and that's probably why you get james cameron yeah yeah how did he come into this was he like asked to do it or was this like something he does he jump to do this kind of thing like if i recall correctly he was really interested in doing it okay i don't think that rip that like ridley scott wanted to do a direct sequel that wasn't really his bag like he was ready to just move on and, and do some other things um and james cameron had an idea and i think he pitched it. i could be wrong in that again i'm not i'm not super hip to how this one was made which is funny because like he reinvigorated terminator too he did the same exact thing yeah. with terminator like he just yeah. took this horror movie and made it into an action movie and a huge franchise yeah and he put bill pax in both of them <laughs> That's the secret to the success. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and this is Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, probably. But it says Cameron <laughs> was hired to write a story for Aliens in 83. Cool. So he was involved 
you know, a good few years before the movie even ended up coming out. So it was still a long process by the time, you know, he was hired to the release because of the lawsuits and whatnot. So he had some time to work it out, sounds like. That's right. It's a very James Cameron movie. And I say this with all affection possible. I am a fan. But there are some moments that are, I think, exceptionally corny. (laughs) Like, what do you think? <laughs> so the moment when, you know, when Ripley gets into the loader and she's oh, like suiting yes, up and dude, then she does oh, that yeah. turn and she's like, where do you want it? <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the end of the movie. No, 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 no. The, the first, the first scene when she does that like quick turn yeah. and poses. I think that's just how like the 1980s were, you know, you I had know. to like, you had to show she meant business and there really was no. It felt very jazzercise. Well, there was no you know? score, right? There was, wasn't yeah. it just like dead silent in the hangar or something like that? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it was just the sound of hydraulics. Yeah, which is what you get at the end, too. And she's like, get away from her, you bitch. Like, the best line yeah. in all of cinema. Just yeah. just so excellent. But but quickly followed by one of the worst lines in cinema, which is not bad for a human. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that line so much. Which is funny because he's, like, so tolerant throughout the whole thing. Like, he doesn't really. Right. I guess he's being sarcastic, but, like, or just. Yeah, because, because she's come around on him, right? Like, she puts a lot of trust in him after showing initially that she has a lot of prejudice <laughs> which is insane that she still has the patience for him because he he comes back for her but like which is it's also a funny thing because in all the other series uh, all the other installations of this series like and the comics i should say or like which i've been reading the marvel versions of the new ones the bishop alien uh, the bishop cyborgs or uh, androids are super duplicitous like even the ones that are bishop models, they're like they're really messed up and and conniving and and do secretive things. And I don't like it's just a it's like a crazy like thing that she just comes around on him at the very end because he happened to save her. But like I would have been so furious. And after what she was went through the first time, like she can't trust. She, she wouldn't be able to trust yeah. him. I don't. Know. It's it's. I mean, to be fair, like she can't be in total disbelief that he left. Like, the place is falling apart. She's way late. She really cut it close. But he can't do anything. His programming says he can't do anything that would put a human in danger. So even if he couldn't, he he probably couldn't. Well, could he leave? Well, it's a dilemma because, you know, he's got Hicks on board. Oh, yeah. He's got the paradox, the old robot paradox. Yeah. Plus, there may be some override thing that, like, damage to him. No, well, I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Gosh. What else? What should we talk about? <laughs> well, okay. There's one more corny moment that I, I thought I'd bring up just because I know that you you're like a fan of Vasquez. Uh, but there's that first bit where Vasquez and Drake are putting on their lancers and they're just like swinging them around in tandem. It's very <laughs> I love choreographed. That. All these. Co- that's what I said at the beginning. I talked about that at the beginning. I think that moment. All your corny moments are like my favorite moments from this movie. Like, like uh, it's just it's too. It's too coordinated. Like it's too choreographed for me. They're running drills, man. They got it. They're they're Marines. They are Marines. The best of the best. It's more Swan Lake than, you know, Cadet Kelly for me. <laughs> Cadet Kelly is your is your military <laughs> reference? Yeah. That's a Disney Channel movie starring Hilary Duff and Christy <laughs> Carlson Romano? Nailed it. What? Like, I don't understand. You could have got. They do drill. They're on the drill team. That's like the whole bit. Full metal jacket. Like, sure. Okay. But I did watch Cadet Kelly on Disney Channel. So. I did not. (laughs) I mean, you got it. You you understood it, what I was talking about right away. So I I won't feel bad about this. Yeah. Well, I'm. Yeah. I mean, your reference hit home. So (laughs) I I applaud it, but I also am just puzzled by it 100%. (laughs) 
corny moments, like, uh, speaking of corny moments, like, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure there's other bad parts I'm overlooking, but, like, I feel like the worst part of this movie was the alien suits for me. I think they're cool designs, but, like, I think it was still just kind of guy in a suit Mm. for me. But except for one scene, which I thought was amazing, when I I forget which part, I think it's the the final scene or, like, in the nest I think when the alien does the wall bounces, it goes back and forth off the sm- in the small corridor. I thought that was excellent because you never see humans move like that. And uh, it was all practical. So I thought that was really cool. But other than that, I found it very much guy in a suit kind of effects while it was a very good suit. One thing I've never like totally understood is when the queen separates from the back part of herself, like, is that... Is that normal? <laughs> or is that something that was done out of, you know, just the extreme circumstances? I feel like termites are probably the best, like, because the queen reminds me, like, for, for physiology is a lot like a queen of a termite. Like, a termite has, like, a, a huge egg sac on the back of it. Right. Which is repulsive, actually, to think about now. But if you pull that off, does it die? I don't think so, because it, it's like it, a, you know what? We should ask, a, what's the, the bug, the bug scientist? entomologist or is it mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's right that sounds right get the entomologist on the phone do you have one on call i'm sure i can go through my rolodex right now <laughs> <an entomologist. laughs> yeah i don't know I'll, i did see one like a dead queen ant or something or something like some queen insect outside my house when i was a kid it was like drying up on the pavement so it had like crawled out of its hive or something and it was kind of dragging this big sack behind it which was repulsive sounds terrible so <laughs> it sounds like it was dying with the thing on it so it's really hard to say which came first, the egg sac killing it or it just dying on its own. Also, logistically, like the room that she's in, you have this array sort of grid of eggs mm-hmm. that go across the entire yeah. room. But it definitely seems like the the tube part of the queen was kind of like tied up to the ceiling. Well, it it's it's like a drones. That's what the 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 drones are for they come and pick up the egg and put it in a nice little pile they're actually picking them up and moving them around yeah isn't that what bees do and stuff the the queen bee lays all those eggs right and then i guess i've just never visualized that before yeah you gotta go (laughs) you could do some youtube diving on uh hive behaviors and stuff it's really disgusting and also interesting uh and probably will put this into perspective i mean that's the another change with the uh, extended version right with the they bring up the queen earlier in the film at least that's what happens when I look at the list. It's, it says that. Yeah, they do. They do make a mention. I think someone was, was it Paxton. Vasquez and and yeah. It's Paxton. Paxton says. Um, yeah. What was Paxton's character name? Because I, uh, it's Hudson. Wait, that's Hudson. Oh, okay. Wait, who is the um? Oh, the the who is like the the, the stiff that hasn't officer? Hadn't done a drop? Hicks. No, no, the guy who'd never had a drop before, um, who's kind of like running the whole shebang. I never remember his name. I forget his name. I thought his name was Hudson, so um, everybody who was shouting <laughs> at their, their, their podcast players um, when I said that earlier about Vasquez and him dying, just know that I thought that was Hudson, the green guy. But yeah, so Paxton says something about the queen. And that does, yeah, that gets cut out. A couple other ones that I noted, um, I, I kind of missed a bit where Hudson's in, I guess, the ship amping himself in the squad up oh my god that's great that's that's 100 should have been in the theatrical we got nukes we got knives sharp <laughs> sticks i mean come on that's a great line yeah i'm so sad that was cut the more packs and the better the, the the worst part of this movie is that he dies yeah. like truly i mean like all the characters dying is a bummer because well most of them are very distinct i just yeah i don't know like vasquez and drake forever is kind of you know vasquez gets a book she got a book that just came out this year it's a prequel um i don't know what happens in it but it's there. Now, uh, here's a question, I guess. 
it's a bug hunt. Mm-hmm. That is something that the Marines are saying when they're getting mm-hmm. briefed uh, prior to deployment or whatever. Like, what does that mean in the context of their outfit? Hmm. Like, is this something they have to do often in going into these hives? Are there smaller scale xenomorphs that they're dealing with? It's a bug hunt. Or are they just, they're just presuming? No, because the briefing at the beginning explains what the xenomorphs are. So this is like the first time they've ever encountered xenomorphs. Um, but it's a good question. Or is bug hunt like a general term that a military person would use in terms of like the enemy combatant or something like that? Or like looking for something that may not be there. Like I'm, I'm wondering if it's metaphorical in a bigger way than it is literally. Like I guess I, I always just took it as like a very general extermination mission. Well, that's the thing about the lore. If you, I mean, I, I don't know what in the lore has been erased or what is canon and what is not. But like if you look at the comics that were coming out in the 90s or whatever, like Apone and Hicks, they were all like they were killing aliens all over. So like it sort of implies that this is a regular thing for them. Yeah, I don't know. That's probably been decanonized or whatever, but it's hmm. that's just something that stuck out to me afterwards. Yeah. On either side of it, it's confusing for me because it's like, well, if there is no other xenomorph, like are there other aliens in this galaxy t- this time period? Yeah, is it, are there some other like, you know, pest species that they often have to get called in for? Yeah. I felt like it was a general term for like, foreign life forms which is interesting because that would imply other aliens like that are in this universe which we don't have so i don't know it's 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 stuck i don't know it's cool i'm gonna have to that that's a thinker i'm gonna have to look into that actually (laughs) i kind of want to know they put out a collection like a book uh with like a collection of short stories called aliens bug hunt maybe it's explained in there (laughs) well you said something about there's a a vasquez prequel right Mm -hmm. so i mean it's definitely not a secret um yeah but but um, I, I mean, I imagine there are no xenomorphs in it, which would be really interesting for an alien franchise novel. Yeah, no, it has to it has to be aliens in it. Like the, it's an alien thing. Like it's not just like Prometheus or whatever. Like there has to be some sort of alien thing. And we know based on Prometheus that there are other things happening in the galaxy. You know, like so. Hmm. I don't know. Like I just feel like that could be. Like what if what if just Vasquez and Drake know or something, or maybe just Vasquez, and that's why like when. You know, she's like prepared when they go down there and they have to give up their ammo. Like she makes sure that she's got Mm -hmm. what she needs Mm -hmm. no matter what. Well, that's so I mean, extending things out without spoiling anything. We know how many more movies are there going to be in the Prometheus saga or whatever was going on. We have Prometheus. We have Covenant. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a third one. There's supposed to be one more. There's supposed supposed to be. That leads into the events of Alien. So like it's like, I mean, it's hard to guess where the events of Covenant would put us, but it seems like, I mean, Deanna, you've seen the trailer for Covenant probably, at least? Probably. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I won't say anything then. Um, but, but it would appear that, you know, there's a possibility that humans are dealing with the xenomorphs elsewhere. Also, when you consider Aliens vs. Predator, you know, <laughs> which is, I believe, not canon, right? Predator? Aliens vs. Predator. Oh, yeah. No, it's not canon. AVP, which is insane because the first one is like a straight up like sci-fi horror film, right? You know, they're just in the Arctic in present day. Yeah. Like going into like a temple that the predators used to hunt the aliens in, which is insane because the events of Alien take place 100 years after that. And then AVP is just a straight up like, I know what you did last summer, but with (laughs) aliens and predators. Like it was just, it's just like a teen slasher flick, which is. Exactly. It's a travesty. The first one's really fun. I think it's a blast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I love seeing the queen. It was the first time we got to see the queen in, like, CG, I think, which I thought was cool. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. I got to watch Alien 3 now. Um, like, I, th- I think I'm going to do that this weekend because I've only seen the ending as a child. Again, I'm oh, seeing these Oh, you haven't seen the which... whole thing? No, I, I haven't. I mean, like, I know the plot of it. I think I read it through when I was reading about the abandoned... Was it... Who was going to do the, the Alien 3 before Fincher got it? There was a, there was another script by William Gibson that, that made its rounds. It was one about the monks, like, the pil- like a, or whatever they, they were called, um, like the religious organization going into outer yeah. space that inhabited a wooden planet, which I thought was so much more fascinating than the prison planet. The script is readily available online, and they also made it into a graphic novel, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Deanna, you haven't seen Alien 3, right? Correct. Okay, then we can't talk about the ending of Aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. But we will. We will eventually. Eventually. The last the last bit that I thought like was really missing from the theatrical cut that got added back for that special addiction. And actually it was, it was first added back for the first time they aired it on TV. They edited back in the centuries scene. I thought that was great for TV as such a cool scene out of all the action in the movie. That's always been my favorite, but it's just, it's just not there in the theatrical cut. It's just not there. Hmm. I, I, I think it's probably a cut for time kind of deal. Oh, for sure. It's an extended bit. And, and, and because it doesn't really affect the plot, like they get, stuck in a sticky like a sticky situation on either side of it it's just like a little bit longer and it shows i mean what do we get from the century scene we get you know how strapped the marines are mm-hmm. how like maybe it gives it puts us into their headspace where they think that they can survive that they they are going to be a little bit uh like they're relying on their technology or their weapons or whatever but it also puts us into the mindset of understanding the aliens who are just sacrificing themselves against these drones. And something that I also keyed in on, which I've never picked up on before, which is probably me being stupid, but like, so Hadley's Hope was a colony of 157, give or take a few, Mm -hmm. like if that sign was outdated or whatever. So roughly 150 people on that planet, uh, in that colony for the aliens, which means there's only 150 aliens, give or take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At most. If, If every single host got you know, impregnated and, and hatched with an alien, which is That's doubtful. Right. But like, what was the alien? Like, I mean, they, they were just, I mean, I guess we know from Alien that those eggs can stay there for a long, long time. So it doesn't really matter. Like eventually somebody's going to come. That's exactly what the centuries, you know, reinforces. It's like, they're reminding you of the scale of the infestation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, okay. Like there are a bunch of people missing. However, <laughs> Their numbers have, uh, you know, been repopulated by this really nasty species, and they're just gonna keep coming. And you better hope you have enough ammo. I just love that bit because you just never know. You, you know. Like you're just you're so tense. You're like, is it gonna work? But they don't <laughs> run out of ammo. What the centuries? The centuries do. No, don't they come down to like ten or whatever? And they're like high five, and like they stopped. They're like we stopped them, and they have a little bit of ammo left. I think so. And then we do the ceiling, the ceiling gag. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that's where it cuts back in in the theatrical edition. They they there's like the one bit where they where Vasquez and Hicks come back in from the hallway and they like seal the door mm-hmm. and that immediately cuts to the aliens are coming closer and the you know, they come through the ceilings. Yeah, that was oh man. So the second time I watched this movie was as like a 16-year-old or whatever. It was like the hottest summer night in in Boston or whatever and I was in my basement. I, again, I watched it on TV, so with commercial breaks and everything. But I just remember being so disturbed by the aliens in the ceiling. It just it was terrifying uh, to think about. And like, just I remember sleeping with all it's the windows open because it was like no air conditioning in this Boston summer or whatever. And just like, just sitting there being terrified, thinking about the last scene with Bishop and like being torn in half and the aliens in the ceiling. And it just, oh man, like they're right on top of us. They're in the room with us. And it's like 
I mean, don't you think they would have figured it out a little bit sooner, though? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they get past the door, they're like, oh, they're in the ceiling. Like they, They've shown time and time again in just that movie alone that they have absolutely no idea how that motion sensor works. <laughs> like, yeah. When they run into the gerbil, when they find Newt, like they're like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. It's right here. Where is it? And then it, it's right there. It's like, just think about it. Think think in the, you know, in the third dimension. <laughs> this this movie still, it sort of has a Star Wars prequel thing going on in terms of technology, obviously because of the time periods they were made in. But like, it's sort of like, you know, flat screens in the future, but in the past, a lot more reliant on holograms and stuff. And this, that's what this movie does too. It's like Aaron was like, wait, Prometheus, like they had better technology in Prometheus, I feel like. It was just... Well, you know, no spoilers, but like think about whose technology it was. Um, I'm trying to remember and I probably need to do a rewatch, but I don't know. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> I, I did like uh, the phone that Ripley has, like the video yeah. phone. I thought oh, that okay. was cool because uh, like, so, so Burke leaves his business card which is like a total classic move, but you don't really think of it, you know, any more past that until she wakes up in the middle of the night and she like <laughs> slams it into the thing like a cartridge. Like it's an actual, like the business card is actually yeah. functional. Like it has use, which I thought was a really cool touch. That was fun. And when she wants to hang up, she just yanks it out. <laughs> she doesn't hit end call. She just yanks it out. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I love that. They're innovating. So Jake, quick question for you. Of the different scenes that are included in the extended cut and not in the theatrical version, mm-hmm. would you say that that scene where Ripley finds out that her daughter died is probably the one that, I guess, changes your perception the most about stuff that happens later in the movie? Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the movie as, you know, like a, a science fiction vehicle for a story about motherhood mm-hmm. and loss, you know, like losing and finding family and what it means to be a mother or a daughter. I, I think a lot of that is lost without knowing very explicitly that Ripley yeah. lost something. You know, we, when you go into it from the theatrical edition point of view, Ripley lost her crew. She lost 57 years of her life. Mm-hmm. But it's an entirely different thing to not only lose your daughter, but have your daughter live an entire life without you, you know, yeah. with the promise that you were coming home. Like that's an, that's a much heavier thing. And so for that to not be there, it sort of, it lessens Ripley's story and it makes her and Newt's story a little bit less meaningful. I, I think you still get a lot of the maternal right. impact that she has on Newt, but I don't think you get what Newt gives her back. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think there was a 17 minute difference between the two cuts, if I'm remembering correctly, which is a good amount of time. So there was definitely a lot of s- smaller scenes here and there that were cut. And most of them could have remained on the cutting room floor, honestly. <laughs> they're, it, they don't really add too much. Yeah. Uh, an interesting fact about this is that this was the only cut of the original four alien movies that was made prior to the quadrilogy. So like when they put out the DVD set, they specifically asked, you know, Ridley Scott and Fincher and whoever did four, I always forget. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They asked them to go back and do like an extra cut as a selling point for the DVD. And in the case of Alien, it's awesome because Ridley got to go back and like make the movie exactly how he wanted it. And it's not a huge change. It just kind of, I think we talked about this before, just adds some atmosphere to the film. Yeah. James Cameron just wanted to do this anyway, because this was the cut he wanted to give them. And they're like, no, it's too long. 
So he cut it and it's still a really <laughs> long movie, but this is the version that he wanted out initially. So this is like a true director's cut. He prefers this version of the film, the uh, the special edition. When we're talking about the Ridley Scott alien cut versus, I, I feel like that scene, an extra scene in Alien was the, I guess the cocoons, right? With the yeah. with Dallas when you see Dallas mm-hmm. again, uh, yeah. and I feel like that like that that is a scene that I really loved in in the director's cut, and I feel like it does add a lot, especially when you look at the cocooning that happens in Aliens. Like I like mm-hmm. those it, like it pays off in Spades. Like it's just it's just a really really nice thing to include in the first movie to make it make more sense in the second movie. But like I just wonder like. I don't like is that did did Cameron draw from that I guess yeah I'm I'm sure he did I mean you know surely he has access to everything that's available you think he met with Ridley Scott Ridley Scott was like listen James the aliens (laughs) they had this cocoon thing you didn't get to see it and the the studio won't let me have the reels it's there but But they they have these really sticky boogers yeah amazing (laughs) exactly I just yeah I mean there's just It's just, uh, they seem very in sync. Yeah, in, in retrospect, it does. But I'm sure, like, if you saw Alien in theaters and then you saw Aliens in theaters, and then the next time you watched Alien, you saw the special edition, it al- it would almost seem like a retcon. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, somehow this got added back in after the success of the second film. Yeah, <laughs> glad I didn't do, do it that way. <laughs> I don't remember. Deanna, I'll have to review my notes, but I'll let you know which version of 3 you should watch okay. because they're they're different enough that it kind of matters. The new one I was watching because they they examine some of the effects, the creature effects, mm-hmm. which are it's a puppet a lot of the time in that okay. movie. That's right. In one in one version, it's a puppet which is they use motion tracking cameras and they shot you know a plate a, a plate with the motion tracking and then they shot with the actors or whatever and then they sort of keyed in the puppet. And so, like, the, the movement, like, I thought it was stop motion. I think it might be. Is it stop motion in some scenes? Uh, yeah, there's, like, that one shot that almost takes place from, like, the point of view of a security camera. Oh, yeah. That one's definitely stop motion when it kind of, like, scurries, scurries away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't remember shot for shot. But, yeah, they yeah there, there was a mix. There was some CGI as well that ended up being used more in one of the the cuts. Well, that's what happened in the re, in the re, uh, whatever, the the... Yeah. Not, I don't know if it's director's cut, but it's like the remastered editions or whatever of Alien Three. Like they all have so many different titles. Well, they replaced, I think, some of the puppets with CG. In in so it's like that is that is the question of what how you want to experience the movie. It's like, do you want CG or puppets? The puppets look freaky though, and they just showed them walking <laughs> around the set and everything. There are some other differences as well, and I I swear I've talked about this on a podcast before. Maybe it was an episode of Podcasm, but I I've talked about alien three at length at some point <laughs> and there there is one cut that has a storyline which i i'm really quite okay. fond of um so that's the one i'll, I'll make sure that you watch yeah nice. just let me know and i will continue my alien franchise watching i think overall it's a very rewarding franchise it's it's not children of the corn it's not puppet master most things are not children of the corn thankfully <laughs> it's rewarding to me because i don't think it ever, ever, ever needs to explode into like this kind of like Infinity War Endgame-esque yeah. type battle for like... End of the world kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always a butterfly effect uh, struggle for the fate of humanity, if you think about it, like in terms of like the, one alien can make everything awful for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's highlighted 
by Alien 3 most of all but like but it is like it's there's never going to be like a Starship Troopers like we're not going to need a Starship Troopers movie where the Xenomorphs are doing that like we have Edge of Tomorrow we have like all of the alien warring on humans kind of thing in a huge fashion Um, because we know humans wouldn't stand a chance like first of all but like I know we, we come out on top most of the time in these movies but like in in an all out war, like we can't compete, you know, um, with acid blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you can. They made a whole game about it. It's called Aliens Fire Team, and you promised you were going to play with me, Mike. So. Oh, I have to play that with you. I have it. I have my rig set up. We can play. Okay, sweet. I'm excited. <laughs> it's a very good game. It's probably on sale right now, huh? This that Steam Autumn Sale is happening. Yeah, it's usually on sale. <laughs> <laughs> Is it fun? <laughs> like most alien titles. Yes, I have I have a blast. It's fun when you're playing with people you know. Is it scary? Uh, I mean, it can be, but like once you get into the flow of it, I, I don't think it's that scary. Okay. It's tense, though. It's really tense. Oh, well, I guess I'll try it. I played Prey, so I feel like that's that's pretty spooky space sim. It's it's as different from Alien Isolation as you can get. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have been struggling to bring myself... <laughs> Someday. To, ...to play that game. Someday you gotta. So good. Which is a great... I mean, that's a great entry into the lore as well, just because you got uh, Amanda's story. Yeah. And it dips into, you know, there's, a, there's kind of like a flashback sort of side quest thing that you get to play in the original cast. And I think there's some DLC with the original cast as well. I think the only way I'll be able to experience isolation is like a, a YouTube Let's Play <laughs> or something like that because yeah. I just, I the amount of stress I feel when I play a scary video game is not worth the enjoyment that I Oof. get out of it or like the story I'm, I'm pulling from it. And so I need to be able to just turn it off and, and walk away, which I know you can do with a video game, but it's different when you are actively trying to not die. Yeah. Um, I also, like there was a Reddit post. I, I, I'm in the Patient Gamer subreddit, um, which is just people who don't want to pay full price for video games, so they wait <laughs> two to five years for them to come out uh, on sale. And there was an Alien Isolation post last week, I think, and they were just talking about play styles and how interesting, like a lot of people just want to stay in a locker and hide from the alien forever. But in reality, you need to play it as if you were a human. You need to like get to your objective. You need to, like the game encourages not sitting still. Uh, which is like the the fight or flight or cower, I guess, is the third option. (laughs) I mean, you can still play it very conservatively. I felt like I did. I was very sneaky throughout the entire game. But that's also how I played like Assassin's Creed. Okay. (laughs) That's just my play style. Mm. Aggressive sneakiness. The the, the, sure. the the patient gamers call it aggressive sneakiness, <laughs> where you just need to just get to your objective um, and yeah. not really so much worry about like waiting for the alien to pass, because you can sometimes get corralled or something like that, you know, by the alien, and it just and because the AI is like built in a certain way, it knows where it basically knows where you are, gets hints as to where you are. I don't know. It's just it's it's, it's too scary for me. But I also said these movies are too scary for me when I was a kid, and, and that I wouldn't be able to watch them. And now there's so, like truly some of my highest rated movies that I've ever seen. Yeah, it seems like it'll be a fun franchise to keep going with, so I will definitely be doing that. Well, which is your favorite of the two that you've seen so far? I'm so I'm so <laughs> curious to know, like which do you prefer? It's I think I rated Alien 5 stars and gave this four and a half. So I would probably be more inclined to watch Alien again before rewatching this. I'll probably eventually watch the theatrical cut just to see what it's like for Aliens. But having seen both cuts of Alien, I probably prefer the longer cut of that one. And then TBD on this one once I get around to watching the theatrical cut. But I did really enjoy the extended cut. So you said you gave Alien five stars and Aliens four and a half. I think so. Is there anything specific that made you pull back on that half star? I also gave it four and a half stars, but... 
Just curious. I think some of it was just it didn't have the same tension, I guess, because of all of the various like comedic relief coming from the military unit and the fact that a lot of scenes focused more on them than on Ripley at times. And it kind of felt like... Mm there were a few too many moments where they sort of just pushed Ripley to the backseat. And I was like, okay, but this is her movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I agree with that. I feel like I had a thought, and this is going to be very controversial. So controversial thought coming out <laughs> right now, you guys. Out of like all the movies that I do or do not like want to like see a remake of, I feel like if the right director was given the opportunity to do this and like not saddled with like the 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 stuff that like Hollywood saddles directors with in terms of like testing and all that stuff like if they could make like a true to the original remake with updated effects and like maybe not a shot for shot remake but like just a very artistically crafted remake of Alien I mean maybe that's what Prometheus is supposed to be but like I would I would be down to see what someone could do with that like making a very nuanced horror film you know because we have a lot of nuanced horror now and like like nuanced creatures and put mike flanagan on it what, what does mike flanagan mm. do he's done haunting of hill house hill Bly manor dr sleep okay a lot of horror stuff he, he does a lot of mm. good work in like hill house and Bly manor in particular with the use of shadows that i think could be really cool with alien mm. yeah I, i'm not uh, as well versed in horror as you but I, I don't know i just feel like it would be like it's probably not something for another like 10 years or so, yeah. but like an alien remake would be kind of cool to see. I feel like I have absolutely zero interest <laughs> in that, but <laughs> I bet they'll do it. <laughs> it would have to be good. It, like it, it can't be like the thing when they rebooted that or whatever. I don't need a reboot. Like I just, I would like to see like a new, I, I want to see Ariana Grande play Ripley is really what it is. You know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Why? Wait, who would you cast? No, like Florence Pugh, okay, as Ripley. I think it would work. Yeah, I think she could do it. That's a much better pick yeah, than think... Ariana Grande. <laughs> okay, may maybe here's the here's the move. Maybe Alien Isolation made into a movie starring Florence Pugh. Oh, that'd be rad. Okay. Ugh, she'd do a great job. That's a happy compromise. <laughs> We're not asking you to remake Alien. We're giving you sort of a new... Because, like, I, I don't know. I'm really intrigued by the lore of Alien Isolation. and It's a really good story. I don't know if it has enough meat. And, like, I don't think the pacing is right for a movie. Right. Well, anything else, guys? Drake and Vasquez forever. <laughs> a friendship that truly, truly one of the greatest movie friendships depicted ever. It's fun. I enjoy this movie every time I see it. I feel like I stray away from it, though. Like, I don't I don't generally put this one on when I want to watch an Alien movie. And I, I guess that's why on Letterboxd I've watched, you know, marked as watched and made diary entries for Alien six or seven times. And... Aliens I've only seen twice in the last ten years. Hmm. Okay, um, it's it's fun. It's a good fun yeah. movie. I just I, I don't know. I I'm actually more likely to put on Alien Three than this one. Interesting. Really? Yeah. I'm still looking forward to Resurrection. I know you're not. You're not excited for me to see Resurrection, but I think it'll be. I don't know. I just like the story. You know, I like I like filling out the the, the gaps and what happens, and I can't wait for whatever Ridley Scott does next in this series. Yeah. Resurrection, the last time I watched it, there were pieces of it that I, I definitely appreciated more than I did the first time around. Like, my memory of it is so sour that I kind of forgot all of the cool pieces of it, um, none of which had to do with the story. <laughs> Just kind of cool stuff that they put on screen I you know that I liked. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. I also really just... 
I absolutely adore the Ridley Scott prequels. I think they're really, really cool movies. Okay. Unfortunately, Hollywood did not agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, and weird. I don't know if we'll ever get that last one. It's so. I don't think we will. I genuinely don't think we're ever going to get it. So, okay, this is name droppy, but remember you told me I, I had an interview with Damon Lindelof, mm-hmm. writer of Prometheus, and I remember you told me to ask him about it. And at the very end of the interview, I was he's like, anything else? And I was like, can we talk about Prometheus? And he goes, no, no, we're going <laughs> to need another two hours to talk about Prometheus. Cause, but like that was his... So I guess that says it all in terms of that that franchise or that section of the franchise there's a lot to say yeah like i i don't doubt that they could make something really cool and that you know they could really kind of tie it all together and it really that's all it needs it just needs one more movie to kind of bring it full circle i i just at this point i don't think it's going to happen ridley's getting really old true somebody (laughs) will be able to do it in the same way that like you know uh what's it tony gilroy um was able to like come in and make a like a boss star wars series with andor like, yeah. I feel like somebody with the right, like, vision or, like, the right ethos in terms of movie making will come in. Because, like, yeah. say what you say what you want. I think I liked Force Awakens. I think there's a lot that people didn't like the Disneyfication of Star Wars in that sense. But, like, J.J. Abrams kind of got Star Wars for the most part. And I feel like somebody, if, as long as they pick the right director, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I can't say his last name, but it's Aaron Guzikowski, I think who was the showrunner for Raised by Wolves, which was produced by Ridley Scott, Oh yeah, has yeah. the exact right tone. So I, I think he could pull it off if there was a script. Mm. Like if there's, if there's a decent enough script, I would trust him to carry out Ridley's vision for that third film. Was Covenant like a, a flop, like box office wise? I don't know. I don't pay attention to the box office numbers, but well, I think this... people just kind of got like, they were very eye-rolly about it because it got like a lot of... Ridley Scott stuff, it got very philosophical. Um, mm. Kind of, it, it talk. It, it gets more into the origin of man than it does even the origin of the xenomorph. And so people want that. They want more alien. Um, but this is something else. It, it makes the world even bigger, and I, it's just not what I think the audience wanted. Mm. Yeah, I mean, wasn't the original name of Covenant supposed to be like Paradise Lost or something like that? Yeah, and I, I maybe I've mentioned this on on the first podcast that we did about Alien, but um, there is a fan editor whose stuff I really like, and um, he did put together a cut of Prometheus and Alien Covenant, like together as one film, and he he named it Paradise, and I think it gels pretty nicely. Uh, he also did one for Aliens three and four that were combined, and he called that one Ripley. I've actually not hmm. seen that one yet, but um, I actually might do that now that have watched the second one. Maybe I'll finally throw that one on. Yeah, well, I think that wraps it up. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and congrats on 300. Yeah, it's it's been a journey. <laughs> well, it's cool. I, I know we only get to come back for the, <laughs> the milestones, it feels like. Well, I, I say only get to. It's not like <laughs> we couldn't come back at other times or that we haven't. Mike's done several episodes of your podcast talking about Marvel stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is nice. It, it's great to, you know, be pulled in for these these awesome milestones. Like, I'm, I'm just endlessly envious, uh, amazed, and proud that you've been able to do this so consistently for so long. Uh, it's, it's remarkable, genuinely. Yeah. Super huge congratulations. And congrats to the listeners for sticking around and being loyal and, and enjoying all the stuff that 
Deanna puts out there for you guys. Yeah. Thank you to the listeners for sure. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm kind of bummed that I won't be doing it as regularly anymore. But at the same time, it's... Your free time will thank you for it. Yeah, I'll just end up (laughs) making videos instead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're going to fill all your... Okay, you She can't stop. She can't stop, y'all. I really do not know how to, I think, at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Like, between all of the podcasts I've done, like, even going back to Misaligned when I used to talk about music, I've done well over 600 episodes of my own podcasts at this point. That's so cool. Just insane. Yeah, truly wild. And when did Misaligned start? Have you been podcasting for a full decade? Misaligned started in 2015, so not quite. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> 600 episodes in less than 10 years holy cow yeah because i did yeah. misaligned for 100 episodes roughly i think it ended at like 103 maybe or something i did like 30 episodes of a sports podcast which was short-lived in comparison to everything else there's been 300 <laughs> main episodes of this plus some bonus episodes and chat cemetery is at 180 or something somewhere around there that one's you know approaching 200 at some point here plus all of the stuff i have put on patreon as bonus content for chat cemetery so yeah your shortest lived podcast is about as long as our longest running podcast sports podcasts are hard to do though because i was covering like multiple (laughs) sports and it's so hard to keep up like it's wild (laughs) i could never (laughs) <laughs> so yeah it's it's been a journey this may or may not be back you know we'll probably have to bring it back for alien 3 at some point but surely i think this is going to become one of those things where it's it's semi-retired and i will put episodes out as i really feel the need to talk about things yeah i think that's that's a really great and really healthy model like we've talked about this offline a lot but when you're making a podcast it's really important to make it sustainable and yeah when you're doing something on a cadence like this it's you know it's kind of cool and it's fulfilling in a way to know that on a weekly basis you're putting something out there like you're always creating it may every episode may not be that great Mm -hmm. but at least you're making something every week like you feel that sense of fulfillment as you're doing it but there's also something to be said about the adverse effects of your health (laughs) that come with that all the stress of meeting your self-imposed deadline and arranging guests and like wrangling people like that's the hardest part about a show like this it's not getting on a on the phone and talking about something you enjoyed for a half hour to an hour it's getting other people to do that with you yeah you know to take the time you know time out of their normal life they're not generally podcasters the folks that you have on the show like they're they're friends right right and they take the time to to come and do this thing with you which is fun but it's also kind of homework and it's homework for you when you have to edit the show and plan out the next six weeks in advance and get a backlog of episodes for when you go on vacation or for the holidays. Like it's a lot of work. So I, I totally stand behind the decision to, to kind of chill out the show for a bit, reevaluate and just put stuff out when you feel like it. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I've been doing with chat cemetery ever since I caught up earlier this year, because that was even more insane because of the length of King books and the fact that I watched 80 episodes of the dead zone because I've completely lost my mind. But you know, that one was definitely (laughs) even more time consuming. This one, it's like I was already going to go watch all of the Marvel and Star Wars movies and stuff. Yeah. So then it was just sort of a little extra work to 
take notes, talk about it, edit it. But, you know, as Mike definitely knows, once this also becomes your day job where you're just editing stuff all day, it's very hard to want to also spend a ton of your free time doing that. Yeah, completely. (laughs) And I'm editing like for work 15 to 20 episodes a week right now. It's so many episodes. It is I do so one. many. <laughs> I do I do fractions of one and it's still too much. <laughs> uh, but you're also still doing editing of your old podcast in your free time for fun. So <laughs> Yeah. Erin gets really mad at me. Um she's like, Why are you working on the weekend? It's like this is how I this is how I relax. I go back to this thing. It's like painting, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. what I've had to tell myself, like, with my projects. So with this, with Chat Cemetery, with the YouTube videos, it's like, this isn't the same. And I've definitely been way more lenient with the schedules lately, especially after the move, because moving to a different state is a whole other set of stress. But, you know, like I said, it's it's been a journey, and I am glad you both have joined me for bits and pieces of it. Well, we're always here when you need us and uh, happy to come back anytime when you come back. For sure. It'll definitely happen. Thank you both.